The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather here to sit beneath your word as you teach it to us by your spirit. We're thankful for that. Us here in this room give thanks to you for that. We, we also want to give thanks to you for what's going on in the, the kids' classrooms throughout the building here. Would you also, in those places, draw near to teach your word to your people, little ones that they are, will you draw them to you? We also pray that you would give grace to the teachers that they would be able to explain in ways that little kids can understand who you are to, to show you to them. So reveal yourself there and here in this room, Lord, those of us with more mature minds, more mature hearts, would you not let that maturity get in the way? Will you make us like little children, humble before you? Teach us here too. We need you to teach. Spirit of God, teach please. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Make the word clear to us. Grow us up. We're so thankful that you are committed to that and that you invite us to come ask you for such things. So please, Make your word clear here this morning. Mature us as a people. If there are some here who hear the, who are, or who hear this who aren't yours, will you draw people to you? Will we ask you, Father, will you build up your family, your, your people, your children, us, for good, that you would be honored? That's our request. Thank you for hearing it and for answering. Amen. Last week, at the end of Matthew chapter 11, we saw Jesus calling out to everyone everywhere with a wide open invitation, come to me, he said there, if you're in the following group, those who are wearied and worn out because of the heavy burdens you're carrying in life, which of course he means to be everybody. That's all of us, all in different ways, all of us here in this world are worn down by the load that we carry. And in the midst of all that, Jesus offers rest. Because Jesus offers a different way to carry the load. With a yoke that is good and easy and a lightened burden, therefore. Ultimately, what he's referring to, you drop the metaphor, what he's referring to is the benefit of the Christian life. Walking with Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God here, confident right now in the promises of God for us here and tomorrow and on into eternity, forgiven because of what Jesus did at the cross, knowing God. That's the rest that Jesus gives. That was last week. And it's seen in how Jesus deals with the Sabbath and the command of God to keep it holy, that is to keep it separate and distinct, set apart. That brings us to our passage this week in Matthew chapter 12. The, the command to set apart, to make distinct the Sabbath from all the other days of the week, that's one of the Ten Commandments. And initially the Israelites set aside sundown Friday through Saturday. That was their Sabbath, and it was, it was set aside there at, at the end of the work week when they would set aside their work and stop and rest, analogous to how God set aside his work week of creation and, and rested when it was done. For a variety of reasons, Christians changed that to Sunday, 
though. We, we picked that because it's the first day of the week, the day that the Lord chose to rise from the dead to finish his work of redemption. And he, he rose from the dead and he finished the work of redemption and then sat down to his eternal rest that goes from then on for forever. So in a way, we are in the rest of God now and looking forward to it into eternity. So Christian Sabbath is Sunday. That being said, throughout this morning, I'm going to be constantly referring to Sabbath rather than saying Sunday because in our non-agrarian world, lots of us have to work on Sunday. We're, we're in situations where we don't have the choice. And so if, if you're not able to set aside Sunday or even part of Sunday, then, then pick another day to try to apply some of what we're going to talk about here this morning. God gave us a day in the week to rest. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible does not have much to say about that at all. But the religious teachers of Jesus' day had lots and lots to say about that, and lots and lots and lots and lots to say about that, and then lots and lots and lots and lots and lots to clarify about what they said about that. Lots. Burden upon burden, detail and stipulation and clarification and detail and burden and burden and detail. And then along comes Jesus with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. To give rest, real soul rest to all who come to him. That's what we're going to be looking at today in Matthew 12 as we see Jesus address the Sabbath in a way that will help us find the rest that he always meant for us to find when he gave the fourth commandment in the first place. The law is his. So let me read verses 1 to 14 of chapter 12, and then we'll draw two observations from it. Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Matthew 12. 
Two observations. Here's the first. Only Jesus has the right to say what is permitted in Sabbath rest. Only Jesus has the right to say what is permitted in Sabbath rest. Verse 1 sets up the situation. As we've seen before with this kind of language, this isn't saying explicitly this thing happened immediately chronologically after the previous. It, it just means around that time this happened, and Matthew puts it here because it's thematically connected. The Sabbath and Jesus and his disciples are taking a little Sabbath stroll through, through some fields outside of some town somewhere where people can see them walking and can see them when they pluck these little heads of grain. They did so because they were hungry. Which doesn't mean, we shouldn't read too much into that, it doesn't mean that they were starving, about to die hungry, of course. It's just a casual little snack. But as soon as they began to do this, the Pharisees cried, gotcha, lawbreaker. Because the Pharisees are watching. The next paragraph in the synagogue makes clear. They, they are watching, they are looking for something, just anything that they can accuse him of, they can use to discredit Jesus. So they're watching, and he, right there, he led his disciples to break the fourth commandment. Can't be from God then. That's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Probably they're trying to accuse him and them of the work of harvesting and threshing as they pluck the grain and then probably you know, rubbed it between their hands to break the kernel away from the, the chaff. It's not harvesting or threshing, what they're doing there. And Jesus could have argued that point with them. No, 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 no. This is not harvesting. He could have gone there. He could have argued the fine print, the definition of harvest. But that was the Pharisees' game. And while he could have beaten them on points, he doesn't go there at all. He just skips over all of that and goes directly at the core issue. He goes after this question, who has the right to interpret? And by what means, what's the methodology? Who and how? Who can say what is permitted on the Sabbath? Because Jesus disagrees with them. They're not allowed. And he disagrees with how they're doing it, their methodology. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with the way you're doing it, and here's why. Three-stage reply. Verse 3, the first of three answers that Jesus gives that are kind of an increasing magnitude. First, don't you know the story about David in 1 Samuel 21? Of course they would have, but that might not be like right top of the brain for us. So recall back in, in that section in 1 Samuel, David has already been anointed the king of Israel but not yet enthroned because Saul is still alive. And at that point in chapter 21, David has just learned that for certain, Saul is committed to killing him. Saul is going to try to kill the Lord's anointed king. And so David flees with some men, but without any provisions. And they all come to the tabernacle of God, which was the forerunner to the temple. And the priests were there, and they, they were serving before the ark that was there, and they were tending it as if it was God's earthly throne room, so to speak, God's, God's house. And, and part of that was they would put this, this bread weekly, this fresh bread in front of the Lord's presence, so to speak. And then they would change it out every week with new bread. And when they changed it out, they, they and they only, priests, and the priests only, were allowed to eat that bread. It was, 
It was holy bread, dedicated to the service of God in the temple there. David comes there in a rush, tells the high priest to give him and his men some food, and they say, all we have is this special bread. And David says, that'll do, give it. And the priest, no further questions asked, says, are your men holy? Yep, here you go. In his eyes, as far as he can see it, he doesn't know the whole story, but as far as he can see it, here is the Lord's anointed king on a holy mission. Here you go. No further questions asked. Both David and the priest, because it's David asking, they both immediately overlook the explicit stated stipulation of the law, and David's given the bread. David's holy work is so important that it stands over and governs, rules the written law. The written law bends beneath David's requirements. There's a prioritization going on here. A prioritization. David's holy need and the written word, the law. It bends beneath him like it does when the holy work of the temple is involved. Verse 5, the second stage reply, and this one kind of ramps up a little bit because that was a story and you've got to infer a little bit from that one. This one's actually written down explicitly in the Torah, the law. When you all say, you Pharisees say woodenly, do no work on the Sabbath, don't you realize how the law itself commands the breaking of this Sabbath law? By the priests in the temple. Don't you realize that? And that when the priests break the Sabbath law, they of course remain guiltless. In fact, God's command to them is that they have to work on the Sabbath. Because the requirements and the demands of the temple are so important that they trump the Sabbath law of do no work. The Sabbath law, here's another prioritization, the Sabbath law bends beneath the requirements of the temple. both beneath David's requirements and beneath the temple's requirements. What's the second step getting at? Prioritization. The holy work of the temple stands above and governs and rules the written law of the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest bends beneath the temple requirements. And so, if temple service is so important that it trumps the Sabbath law, and David's service is so important that it trumps the temple law. What do you think would be the case, guys, when something greater than the temple and something greater than David comes along? Wouldn't that something that is greater than the temple and greater than David be the top trump card in the deck that makes everything else beneath it submit to it and bend beneath it? If something greater than David and something greater than the temple were to come along, wouldn't that subordinate everything else? Wouldn't that reprioritize everything else? Uh-huh, and I tell you the truth, something greater than the temple is standing right here. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is so familiar to us that it kind of feels like, yeah, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. 
what did you just say? That would have been the blow that fell. We, we don't hear it. We're Americans. In the 21st century. 20, yeah, 21st century. This is shocking. A stunning claim that is right at the center of what got him attacked and killed eventually. The deprioritization of the temple beneath him, himself. The temple is, is relegated to be, eh. The temple is everything. What are you doing? You can't do that with the temple. And the dethroning of the Pharisees from their beloved position of authority. Think about this for just a second here. This, the, the position of power that they sat in. The right to look over and interpret and adjudicate every detail in life. Person comes to a Pharisee, can I wear this garment? Well, that garment is explicitly not mentioned in the Bible, but let me interpret the law for you and tell you, yes, you may wear that. I have said so. Thus saith the Lord. Can I do this activity today? Uh, that activity explicitly is not actually written about, but let me interpret God's word for you. I, no, you may not do that because I said so. Thus saith the Lord. It is a position of incredible power. The right to determine every detail of life. The Pharisees sat in that seat and looked down and, and ruled. And Jesus wipes it all the way. Come to me, not them. Come to me, not them. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I rule the fourth commandment. And that means all the other ones too. The ten commandments are mine to give. Shocking. Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath is Yahweh. Right here says Jesus, you got to be kidding me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments are mine to give and mine to interpret. I'm the great son of David, the Christ whom he calls Lord. I'm the great temple of God, the true place where God and humanity meet. I'm the Lord, I'm Yahweh, come in flesh, come to me. I'll tell you what I permit in my law. It is amazing. It is astonishing. Come to me. I'll interpret it for you. Me alone. What, what standard is he going to use? That's the third thing he said. This is really helpful because it helps us understand what Jesus is, where he's going with this. We, we can see the, the, the bold, astonishing claim to authority. But then you might say, well, if, you, if you're that much authority, do you just like, I feel like doing this today. I feel like doing that today. Just on a whim do you interpret no, no, he's got a methodology. The third thing he says, verse 7, this is super helpful. And if you had understood this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Quoting from Hosea 6, Jesus essentially is saying, your basic problem, you Pharisees, and understand we probably don't know any Pharisees, but we know a ton of Pharisees. The, the, the Pharisaical mindset was, was actually, I mean, deliberately on the surface in this day. 
But today, across the globe, in all kinds of religious circles, dominating the culture all right around us, is the same mindset that says what this relationship with God looks like is God gives us the things to do or not do, and, and he's given us those things so that we know what to do or not do, and then as we dutifully do or dutifully don't do, that's what makes us pleasing to God. So pay attention and, be, and behave carefully. That's the, that's the mindset of, of a legalist, a person who thinks by following the law I make myself right with God. Speaking to the Pharisees of then or the Pharisees of today, Jesus says your basic problem is that you do not know God. Your basic problem is that you do not know God. You approach and you deal with him in a way that is not him. You think of him as the exalted holy God who desires and deserves and even demands our sacrifice. You think of him as if he is a man. You think of him as if he is a man. Men, people, take from their subjects a price. And the higher the price, the more that we take from them, the greater the sacrifice that men make their subjects undergo. The higher the price paid, that's, just, that's the greater the statement about the power and the worth and the authority of the one given to and the one sacrificed to. You think that he gave his law to tell us what to do, in this case the Sabbath law, to tell us what to do without, so that our costly giving up, our costly going without, our costly depriving ourselves of in his name would declare all the more his value and his worth and ascribe all the more glory to him. Put it real simply, a car that cost me $50,000 is more valuable than a car that cost me $10,000. The, the cost, the sacrifice declares the value and that's how you're thinking about God. That he demands a greater sacrifice, demands us pay a greater cost, and that's what glorifies him, that's what lifts him up. That's how people work. The true God who needs nothing. Hear this, men and women, hear this. The true God who needs nothing and can never be enriched doesn't want us to sacrifice for him. The true God sacrifices for us. In that, he is glorified. This is astonishing good news. It, it's a 180 for how people think about God. The true God does not say, give to me. The true God says, I'm going to give to you. In his astonishing generosity and kind, loving mercy, he acts to remove, to relieve us from the wearisome burden of living life under the curse. The God who is, is gentle and lowly. The God who is, has a heart of mercy and made us to be recipients of his largesse. This is good news. The God who is made us not to empty our pockets and break our backs under his yoke so as to prove that he is our ruler and we really are his subjects. No, no, 
The God who is looks at us and realizes that we wrestle with thorns and thistles here in all this fallen world all week long and in mercy gave us the Sabbath to give us a break from that. To give us rest. To give us mercy not to call for more sacrifice. He is most glorified in us when we take that rest upon ourselves and soak it up and in thanksgiving say to him, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving me this break, this rest, this, this, this release. And thank you for in the meantime taking the place on the wall to hold back all the thorns and thistles. He works on the Sabbath while we rest. God works still every day. I want mercy, not sacrifice. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. That's how Jesus authoritatively interprets the Sabbath commandment. We'll see that played out in the next paragraph. Before we go there, it's worth asking yourself if this is in fact how you see God yourself. Now, I think if you just tracked with that two paragraphs or so, I think this is an alarming and beautiful and good and releasing view of the true God that a lot of times we don't actually get. God is gentle and lowly, desiring mercy for us, not sacrifice from us. Is this how you see God yourself? That is how he approached you in Christ. He made the sacrifice. In mercy, he came for you. This is the whole setup of the gospel. This is how he approached you. In mercy to make sacrifice for you, he came humbly, low, and meek to offer you the good work of Christ crucified. You see him like that with a heart that is, that is wide open and full of love for you. If you see him like this, this is what will fuel rest in your soul all the day, all the week, all the life long. Obviously, this is connecting to what Jesus said last week. If you weren't here last week, we looked at the end of chapter 11, this very unique spot where the one time that Jesus describes what his heart is like, what he's like at his core gentle and lowly. We must see him like that. That's what fuels rest for you. The God who calls not for sacrifice, but calls for you to receive his sacrifice. Now, just in case some of us are wondering or some of us are inclined to run too far with this, there is another opposite ditch opposite from the one we're dealing with right now, there is another opposite ditch on the other side of the road that if we were closer to this ditch would incline us and we could actually need to push the other way to get back towards the middle of the road. There is. And that ditch is also extremely common in our world today. This ditch is, God doesn't care what you do. God, wants, God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to do whatever feels right, whatever the culture says feels right, whatever, whatever pleases you, pleases him. In fact, maybe even God's not there. Go for it. You do you. And if we were in this ditch, we'd need to say, 
the Holy One is still holy. And let's not forget that Jesus said his people have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, a righteousness that is in the heart. So we need to push back this way. And in that context, words like sacrifice completely fit. To sacrifice the things that feel natural to me, to sacrifice the things that I want and, and defer them to, bend them beneath what God calls for, absolutely, if we were over here. But that's another ditch, another passage, another sermon. Jesus is dealing with this ditch over here. The people who say, actually, how we please God is we very carefully delineate what he requires us to do, and then we give it, and the harder the better. No. What pleases God is the work of Christ, mercifully offered to you, trusted alone. That's what pleases God. Jesus' work on the cross, period. And those of us who understand that can look at this passage, can, can think about these concepts and say, this is glorious. This is life-giving. This is rest that the God who is does not demand from me but gives to me. He is gracious and merciful and generous. You stand in grace, Christian. That is good news. Rest in that every day. Okay, so what about the Sabbath day? What should we do on the Sabbath? Well, it takes us to the second observation. Sabbath rest includes the work of doing good to others. Sabbath rest includes the work of doing good to others. Leaving the field of verse 1, verse 9, we see Jesus heads into their synagogue. Probably emphasizing there to, to, to indicate that this is what they view as their home turf. They, they rule here, if you will. He walks into there, and what do you know? There's a man there with a withered hand, paralyzed and atrophied. Hand, the word could include up through the arm somewhere, so he's got a, a part of himself is at least paralyzed and probably atrophied. And the Pharisees now ask Jesus one of those questions that's not really a question. They're not looking for information here. They're looking for ammunition here. They're looking for him to give him something that they can accuse him with. So, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Obviously, looking at this man, there's nothing life-threatening here, so Jesus wouldn't have to act. And also, as we've seen a bunch, Jesus can heal by just thinking about it or by speaking. He doesn't need to do anything that even resembles any kind of labor. So, again, he, he could argue the, the points here, but he doesn't debate them on definitions or terms. He just goes right for it. General statement, who among you, if you had a sheep, if that sheep fell into a pit, a big, big old hole of some sort on the Sabbath, who would just leave it there till the next day? That very issue was actually debated in the pharisaical circles. Exactly that. 
And while they came up with a whole bunch of different answers, Jesus can state this just rhetorically because even the Pharisees, the, the, the great majority opinion of the Pharisees, and certainly everybody who wasn't a Pharisee, everybody thought, no, you wouldn't leave it there. You'd get it out. It'd be cruel to leave it there. Well, verse 12, exactly. It would be cruel to leave it there. Unmerciful, unloving not to bring it out. And how much more valuable is a person than an animal? To leave a person fallen in a pit, to avoid doing mercy towards a person because it's the Sabbath and we must honor God is wrong. God wants mercy. God wants us to be merciful towards others, to help them towards what is good for them if we are able on the Sabbath too, on the Sabbath especially, And then Jesus just healed him right there in front of everybody. And we aren't told anything about the crowd's reaction or about the man's reaction. Just that of the Pharisees who were so concerned to keep God's law. Verse 14, they went out and conspired against him to destroy him. Somewhat ironic, they felt free to do that on the Sabbath. That's what happened and increasingly so, as we'll see as the chapters move on here. But for this morning, what do we do with this paragraph? What do we, what do, we do with this? Well, this moves us on from in the first paragraph, who has the right to interpret and by what standard Jesus, looking at mercy, not sacrifice, moves us on from who and, and by what standard to what do we do? Who's on towards that. And the last part of verse 12 is the summary comment that probably for most of us seems common sense, as much of the incident does. But at the point that Jesus said this in history, it would have been pretty counterintuitive and a reordering of priorities again. This, these, are, these are people in a context in which preparing a meal for yourself is not allowed. Cooking isn't allowed. Even in modern day, as people apply these these ancient teachings in modern day, carrying your house key outside of your house, not allowed. Walking more than a a kilometer, a kilometer and a half, not allowed. That's that's the mindset, and this is a pretty counterintuitive point to make in that mindset. Do no work, just got put under, do the work of doing good. Prioritization again. Do the work of doing, even non-crisis work of non-critical good. This guy would have made it till the next day. He's had that hand like that for a while. But Jesus says, no, even non-critical, even non-crisis, do the work of doing good. And if, when you do the work of doing good on the Sabbath, you will be guiltless. Of course, he's the one who has the right to define this. Not our culture, not not us. You know, what what good is, what doing good is, is defined by him under his authority in in the Bible. But he says, "I'm, I'm telling you, This is permitted. Among the other things, this. 
This also is lawful. You'll be guiltless when you do good to others. Now, notice, he does not erase the commandment. Some Christians kind of get confused, I think, about the Sabbath commandment. They think it doesn't really apply to us today. Jesus doesn't erase the commandment. He adds in what's permitted on the Sabbath, not saying skip the whole thing. But he does help us think about what is permitted and what else can be done on the Sabbath. So I think here and in some other related passages in the gospel, he kind of lays out some broad parameters. Not, this isn't like the Pharisees' Jesus style. This is broad wisdom parameters. And it's probably helpful for us to think about not just doing good added in, but, but what else? What, what is the Sabbath actually about? So I'm going to use this as a launch point here for just a few minutes to talk about what it is that we can do on the Sabbath. What we should do, I think. This is one day of the week set aside. This is the core of what it's about. Set aside from the other days of the week to make it different, to give us different opportunities, extra time, relaxed focus, to free us from our regular work, to allow us to do some other things. So whatever it is that you usually do, whatever it is that you usually do to provide for yourself or for any family you may be responsible for, whatever it is that you, that you do to maintain life, whether it's paid work inside the outside or inside or, or it's unpaid work outside or inside, whatever it is, however you labor to hold back the thorns and the thistles of the fallen world, some rest from that, some break from that. So what I'm not saying is this is not just a second Saturday of the week. This is different than the other six, a chance to do something different. A merciful God gives us this ability to set aside, to turn from the labor that we usually engage in, and then while he stands guard against the world, he's going to let us do something else. So like what? Well... Again, this is just wisdom. A couple of examples, though. If you happen to be a professional golfer, you probably shouldn't play golf on the Sabbath because that's your job. Do some woodworking instead. But if you're a carpenter, feel free to play golf. If you work for or own a landscaping business, don't mow your lawn. But I know plenty of people for whom mowing the lawn and edging the sidewalk and trimming the bushes and weeding the garden is tremendously therapeutic. And it is a chance to say time out to all the rest of the week to rest, physically rest and mentally rest. Even while they work up a sweat in the lawn, they're feeling like, ah, oh, this is so good. In that case, mow. Have at it. Come on my place too. <laughs> Suppose you're, you're a, a person who's primarily responsible for caring for the home and caring for little kids in the home. What do, you, what do you do? You can't get away from that. Well, maybe it'd be good to spend some time thinking and talking with some others, how others might take some of the tasks or what could be skipped. And I don't mean just postponed till Monday so you've got twice as much work. I mean just done away with. 
so that a break from the usual can happen also. Something different can be done. And in all of that, as you're, if you're mowing or if you're playing golf or if you're, if you're working on, on some sort of a woodworking project, whatever it is you're doing, as you're doing all that, without the pressure to think about, I need to check that report, I need to get back to so-and-so, this email needs, to, it needs an answer, I need to check the, the market numbers, it's about to close. Without all of that, you've got more room up here to while you're walking a fairway or carving away at some wood to commune with God in all of that in a different way than you can when there's somebody else owning your mental time also. Because somewhere near the core of this rest is not just a chance to do something else, but a chance to do something else with God. To to uniquely commune with him while engaged in the other activities. And then I I would suggest even in a particular more focused way. This is why we have worship on the Sabbath, that we all have time to come here on Sunday morning to do this. Maybe you've got extra time on this day or on on part of this day to spend extra time reading your Bible, extra time listening to, to worship music, extra time praying, communing with God in some focused particular time. There's extra time because other things have been set aside today. And there's room on a Sabbath to consider how you might do good to others, how you might feed not just yourself with the Lord, but how you might feed them in the name of the Lord. And Jesus speaks to that one directly here, because that one was probably the little less intuitive. We probably assume a lot of that today. We, we don't have quite the same take on, on the prohibitions that they did. So maybe rather than just saying to us, it's permitted to do good, maybe we should put a little bit more, a little bit more deliberate approach. Not just it's permitted, but how about do good on the Sabbath? You've got extra mental bandwidth. You've got extra time to look around and say, around me are, are who and what are the needs around me? And how might I meet them? How might I do good to others around me here on this day because I have a different chance to do so? None of that is law. It's all just wisdom. It's, it's how I'm reading the very little evidence in the Bible. But I think those, those broad categories of God mercifully gives us Sabbath to, to rest from our usual labors, to have more time to enjoy him and his creation and his gifts to us, indirectly enjoying him in the gifts and directly enjoying him in the word and in prayer with his people, and he gives us a chance to do good to others in his name, to bless the world around him. Something like that is how we should handle the Sabbath. Sunday or some other particular day if you find yourself working on Sunday. To do good in his name to those who are around us, to enjoy him directly, 
and to set aside our labors, trusting him to take care of our needs. This is his gift to us, one way that we experience his easy yoke, helping us carry the burdens of life in Sabbath rest. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this gift of the Sabbath. And while I'm sure our, our particular carrying out of our activities will be different from person to person, I'm, I'm just thankful for it and I pray that you would speak to each one of your people and guide us. Show us what we should do and how we should do it. But above all the details, Lord, I am particularly thankful that you are the kind of God that you are. Probably a growth curve in, in many of our lives is, is to see you increasingly, increasingly, increasingly as, as generous and gracious and merciful, open-handed, giving. Would you press that, where that particularly is needed in our lives, will you press that? Will you show us your kindness and Lead us to any repentance that is needed. Would you guard us and guard any who may hear this from, from misinterpreting it to say that uh, you let us do whatever we want? You're a holy God. Guard us from that mistake, but Lord, would you press particularly on your mercy and your generosity to us? Thank you. Thank you for how you've been merciful and generous to us in Jesus. And you continue to be so all the way, all the way through the rest of our lives and on into eternity. Thank you. We love you and we trust you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.